Erev Tov, everybody. Welcome to a special edition of our Monday night class. Tonight's class is sponsored by Mr. and Mrs. Maurice and Gladys Benedid in memory of his father, Mr. Abraham Benedid Zichon May the words of Torah that we say tonight, the study of such an important topic, as we'll see, bring be an ilui neshama to this um holy, special individual. Tonight, I want to spend some time discussing a topic that to we Sephardim seem to ignore often. You hear the word kitniot and all of a sudden uh, it falls on deaf ears. Kitniot, ah, we don't need to know about kitniot. There is a lot of truth to that. Sephardim, for sure, as we're going to see, don't have much in terms of connection to the concept Kitniot. But I want to speak about the sources and um, a little halachic analysis on this idea, where it comes from, how does it apply, and um, and some of the things that come up as a result. The chametz pro- prohibited by the Torah is produced by one of the five types of grain. There is wheat, barley, Spelt, oats, and rye. That are those are the five special cereal grains where hametz can come from. Other species such as rice and millet, even if they rise, they do not undergo the same fermentation process as the five cereal grains, and they are technically allowed to be eaten on Pesach. Now, there is one Tanna in the Mishnah, Rabbi Hanan ben Nuri, who says that rice is also a cereal grain and is forbidden by the Torah in its leavened state. But the rest of the Chachamim maintain that even if rice rises, it's allowed to be eaten on Pesach. And this was the practice of all the great Tannaim and Amoraim. In fact, the Gemara tells us, Masech Pesachim, that Rava ate rice at the Seder. Now, during the medieval era of the Rishonim, about seven centuries ago, the Jews of Ashkenaz, Germany, began to refrain from eating kitniot on Pesach. And initially, only some Jews observed this stringency, but it didn't take long. And within a few generations, the custom had spread to all Ashkenazi communities. Now, there are three principal reasons for this custom, why it took place and why it spread so fast. Number one, since kitniyot are cooked in the same manner as grains in a pot, then there's a concern that if people cook rice or other kitniyot on Pesach, they will end up mistakenly cooking Forbidden types of grains, such as wheat, barley, spelt, oats, and rye, like we said earlier. That's the first reason. Second reason, since kitniot, like the cereal grains, are often made into flour, then if the ameha aritz, the unlearned masses, see pious Jews cooking and baking foods with kitniot, flour, without concern of it becoming hametz, then God forbid they could be liable to doing the same thing with grain flour as well. 
Now, the rabbis of the Talmud were not concerned about this because in their day, Jewish tradition was very clear, was very established. However, as the Galut expanded and the scattering of Jewish communities uh, continued and gave rise to a fear that some Jews would be cut off from tradition and come to forget what is forbidden and what is permitted, therefore, this prohibition of Kidniot took place. And eating kitniot on Pesach would cause them to make a mistake and to eat forbidden cereal grains without taking care that they do not become hametz. That is the second reason. The third reason is that grain and kitniot, the kernels, are very similar in appearance. They look the same. And they're kept in the same storehouses for relatively long periods. And therefore, it is very, very possible that the wheat or the barley kernels would find their way into kitniot. And when the kitniot are cooked, the grain will become hametz. This is a concern that still persists today. And indeed, it is very much possible to find kernels of grain when checking kitniot. Another reason why the kernels of kitniot and cereal grain got mixed together was a practice called crop rotation. Crop rotation is when farmers often grow different types of legumes for a year to replenish the soil of the field that had been used for growing grain for many years. I'm not a professional farmer, but from what I've read, grain is a type of plant or crop that actually takes a heavy toll on the uh, fertility of the soil. And therefore, every so often, kind of like we have Shemitah, which replenishes the soil, but every so often, farmers would take a break from the grain and plant lighter crops. Um, now, when they do so, and these lighter crops are kitniot, and when they do so, sometimes the kernels of the previous crop remain in the field. So if somebody was planting uh, coriander after a wheat uh, crop, then wheat will still sprout among the coriander or the other or the other kitniot grain. And it will be found, when they come sent to harvest, some wheat kernels will be found in amongst those kitniot. And sometimes the quantity of those cereal kernels, the, the wheat, the barley, the rye, the oats, the spelt, the wheat, the, the quantity exceeds one sixtieth of the entire quantity, and that is a very, very big problem. During the era of the Rishonim, all Sephardic communities ate kitniot and ate rice during Pesach, though they were very, very careful to pick out forbidden grains. Indeed, Rabbi Yosef Karo famously writes in the Bet Yosef. Nobody worries about such things except for the Ashkenazim. That was his famous line when speaking about Kitniot. However, there were many leading Sephardic Aharonim that have written that many pious Sephardic Jews refrained from eating rice during Pesach because it was found that some wheat kernels were discovered in the rice even after it's been checked many, many times. Uh, for one, the Jews of Izmir uh, to have, have a custom of 
not eating rice on Pesach. Of course, the Jews of Morocco refrain from eating rice and other types of dry kitniot on Pesach, such as chickpeas. The Benishchai writes that in Baghdad, many lay people did not eat rice, and those who do eat rice should check the rice two or three times. Truth is, each person should perpetuate his ancestral custom, and whenever there's a doubt or a difficulty, you have to ask your rabbi in terms of what to do. Included in kidneyot, there are certain spices, such as cumin, such as turmeric, fenugreek, uh, those spices often have grains mixed in and need to have or be inspected meticulously. Some say nowadays rice is stored in the same packing house as flowers and, uh, and wheat and therefore those who want to eat rice on Pesach must buy packages that are certified kasher le Pesach and then check the rice thoroughly three times. It's not necessary. Definitely you have to check the rice but if a person wants to buy regular rice in the store and check each grain, that is acceptable as well. The following question arises nowadays quite frequently. What does a married couple do when one spouse comes from a family that refrains from kitniot and the other from a family that eats kitniot? So I address this also in our uh, Pesach question forum that a similar matter was addressed by the great Rishon the Tashbets, who writes that these two people cannot eat at the same table um, because one is for one has a forbidden food in front of him. So he writes that, or the Halakha states that in such a case, if a husband and a wife come from different backgrounds, the wife needs to adopt her husband's customs because a man's wife is like his own body. So, therefore, the wife has to follow whatever the, the husband does. If the husband, God forbid, dies, then it depends. If she has a child from him, then she keeps his custom because the son represents the father. Otherwise, the wife would go back to her family's custom. Rav Moshe Feinstein in his Sefer Igrot Moshe, adds that the wife's status is similar similar to a person who moves to a place where the accepted custom is different from his own. So if he intends to settle in this new city, then he relinquishes his previous custom that he once had and accepts the custom of his new home. So say So too with a woman who gets married is as if she moves permanently into her husband's house and she must adopt the customs of her husband. So, to make it more practical, if an Ashkenazi woman marries a Sephardic man, she may eat kitniot during Pesach, and not only that, she does not need to perform hatarat nedarim. Hatarat nedarim is annulment of vows because she's acting in accordance with the law that a woman adopts the customs of her husband. But nevertheless, there are some poskim that hold that she should perform or recite Hatarat Nedarim prior to eating Kitniot for the first time. It's actually quite interesting that uh, that Teshuvah by, by Rav Moshe Feinstein, he actually writes there that it's, um, he proves from here that uh, it's a, from the fact that 
the Torah exempts a married woman from the obligation to honor her parents. Why? Because she has to be with the husband and follow the customs of the husband. Because the mitzvah, of, the mitzvah of respecting and honoring one's parents, according to the Torah, requires her to actively clothe and feed her parents, which often she can't do if she's under the husband's jurisdiction or in the husband's home. So according to, according to the situ, situation, a woman is actually exempt from honoring her parents the proper way. Now, of course, if there's no clash between the two obligations, she's commanded to honor her parents. Or if they live in the city and they live very close by, then she has to, she has an obligation to honor her parents. But if they live in a situation, in, in, a, in, a, in a place far away, away from her parents, she's exempt. Why? So according to the Torah, a woman's place is in her husband's home. A question is asked, like we mentioned, can Ashkenazim perform Hatarat Nedarim and eat Kitniyot? So, for example, today, there's an, after seeing all the things that the Sfaradim can eat, one Ashkenazi decides, okay, you know what, I'm tired of this. I want to start eating uh, corn. I want to start eating uh, anything made with corn syrup. I want to start eating rice. I want to start eating chickpeas. I want to start eating beans. I, I want to eat everything. So, can this, can the Ashkenazi do Hatarat Nedarim? And that's it. I'm done. So, says the Kafachayim, who was actually a Sephardic Jew, he says it all depends. He says it depends what the re- it depends what the reason I seem to be breaking out. I apologize uh, with internet connection. It depends what the reason is why he was refraining from eating kidneyot. If he was refraining from eating kidneyot because he thought they are chametz, but they're not really chametz then he may perform Hatarat Nedarim. That's fine. But one who knew or whose ancestors knew that Kidniyot is just a strict custom, in that case, he may not perform Hatarat Nedarim. He, cannot, he doesn't perform Hatarat Nedarim in that case. That is according to the Kafachayim. The Prihadash writes that you are allowed to perform Hatarat Nedarim. It's just a stringent custom. He can annul his vow, and there's nothing wrong with it. The problem is, says the Khatam Sofer, that this has now been a custom that has been accepted by all the Ashkenazim, the entire community. And hence, what he says and is adopted by most Ashkenazi poskim is that Ashkenazim do not perform Hatarat Nedarim, um, and to eat kitniyot, except in the case of extenuating circumstances, which we'll talk about later. Some of the familiar foods that are included in kitniyot would be rice, peas, millet, chickpeas, sunflower seeds, mustard, uh, buckwheat, cumin, uh, soy, lentils, fava beans, poppy seeds, flaxseed, caraway, hemp seeds, all the common beans, sesame seeds, so on and so forth. Products made from kitniyot, corn flakes, corn flour, rice cakes are also included in this custom. Um, saffron, the original charkom in the Torah, is included in the prohibition. Some say turmeric as well um, is included. One thing that's not included is potatoes. 
potato flour. There is no contention here that based on the customary prohibition of kitniot, anything uh, from which flour can be made should be forbidden. It's not necessarily true. Um, potatoes uh, is, is generally accepted by all Ashkenazim. In fact, a lot of what the Ashkenazim eat is potatoes on Pesach because a lot of it is forbidden to them. Now, what happens if a person keeps um, or refrains from eating kitniyot? So let's say Ashkenazim, all those, uh, all those foods that I just mentioned. And let's say Moroccans uh, that don't eat rice or don't eat chickpeas. So what does that mean? Can I have these in my home or, or do I need to get rid of it? Are they considered chametz? No, so they're not considered chametz. The rule is that people who adhere to the custom of not eating any kitniyot or what, whichever specific kitniyot are allowed to keep these items in their home during Pesach. And they're even allowed to derive benefit from them. A person is allowed to light uh, a lamp with oil from kitniyot if he doesn't eat that oil. Just because he doesn't eat that oil doesn't mean he can't use the oil to light a lamp. I'm allowed to keep rice in my house on Pesach, even though that I don't eat rice. I do not sell it with my chametz because it's not chametz. Same thing with chickpeas. One who does not eat kitniyot on Pesach is allowed to cook for somebody who does eat kitniyot on Pesach. But he should set up some sort of heker, some sort of reminder that he is not cooking for himself, says the Kafachayim. A store owner would be allowed to sell kitniyot on Pesach. Uh, however, if there were some, if it's going to lead to problems, if it's going to lead to people not sure, then maybe to keep it away from the Pesach inventory. In fact, nowadays, when you see people that own grocery stores that sell things for Pesach, Many and, and, and items are kidneyot that are not labeled as kidneyot. They don't put it into the kosher for Pesach section. They put it into the regular section where the items that are that maybe chametz would be over there. Right? It would be better to sell the kidneyot along with the chametz in order to avoid problems. If kidneyot were to fall into a cooked food, we spoke about this at length last class. If kidneyot were to fall into a cooked food, that doesn't make the cooked food pasul or, or, or taref, or you have to throw it out. The kitniyot needs to be removed. And whatever cannot be removed is nullified, in, is batel in majority of the dish. All you need is 51%. That's all you need. If, however, a large amount of kitniyot falls in there that they become the majority, then the dish is considered a kitniyot dish. And the consumption is forbidden. So again, this applies as well to we sefaradim. If a little bit of rice falls into your big pot, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to throw out the, the, the pot. It's not chametz. It's a, it's a kitnit that we don't eat. So as long as there's majority of the food versus the rice, that's permissible to eat. It's permissible for one who does not eat kitniyot on Pesach to eat from and cook with utensils that belong to someone who do eat kitniyot, provided that 24 hours have elapsed since the kitniyot were last cooked in them. So a food, and if, and if someone made a mistake and the food 
was cooked within 24 hours, again, the food still remains kosher because we assume that anything that that uh, uh, that imparted into the non-kitniot food would would be batel anyways with the majority. Now, obviously, it's forbidden, like we spoke last week, it's forbidden to purposely put kitniot into a mixer. You cannot purposely put something in there even though you know it's going to be nullified by 60 times or by a majority. That's something that's not allowed. Um, if one who does not eat kitniot visits a person who does eat kitniot and there's nothing for the guest to eat. So an Ashkenazi visits a Sephardic house on Pesach and all the Sephardi made is kitniot. All he made. He made everything. He got rice. He's got chickpeas. He's got everything made with corn. He's got... And Mamash got his whole table... All even the desserts are all kitniyot. Poor Ashkenazi guy, he's there, he's got nothing to eat. So what does he do? So the halacha states, if there's nothing for him to eat, he can eat a non-kitniyot food from a mixture containing kitniyot. There are such a things. If there's just a mixture, then it's fine. It's okay, let him eat that. So he can eat um, uh, a potato dish or zucchini dish that has a mixture of kitniyot. Even though the food he is eating absorbs some of the flavor of kitniyot, it's fine, he can eat it as well. When does the prohibition of kitniyot begin? Does it begin like Hametz begins, which is on Erev Pesach? Or does it begin when Pesach, be, when Pesach starts? So some say it starts at the onset of Pesach. And in the time of uh, um, pressing need, a person can rely on this opinion. But in practice... The mainstream opinion is that the custom of kitniyot corresponds to the prohibition of hametz. And therefore, kitniyot are forbidden from the time that hametz is pro- prohibited. So a person, a svaradi, that doesn't eat rice on Pesach should stop eating rice even when uh, he stop at the time that he stops eating uh, hametz. There is a big discussion with kitniyot that never touched water. So let's make something clear. We are not stricter with kitniyot than we are with the five cereal grains. Wheat, barley, oats, rye, and spelt. So whatever is acceptable for these five grains is definitely kosher for kitniyot as well. So kitniyot that have not come into contact with water or that have come in contact with water, but was not left there for more than 18 minutes before being cooked like the matzah, you're allowed to eat. You're allowed to eat. Some poskim are strict in this respect, but most, most are, are lenient. Um, the, the poskim disagree about certain oils or whiskies that are made from kitniyot. Those who rule leniently, they contend that the kitniyot prohibition doesn't apply to oil that is extracted from them. And those who rule stringently maintain that kitniyot oil has the same status as the kitniyot themselves. And there's a middle position. The middle position says it depends. If the kitniyot was rinsed in water, for example, um, like a, a part of the malting process, then they become forbidden, and the oil that is extracted from them is prohibited like kitniyot is. But if they are ground first and made into an oil, 
without having been moistened, then they don't have the status of kitniyot. So what ends up happening is you have certain oils that all Ashkenazim um, uh, eat or use for, for their cooking, such as soybean, cottonseed, uh, canola, and soybeans. Some are strict with that, but co- cottonseed oil is meant to be the most lenient, in, um, and that's why also it's quite expensive when you get to the store. It's not, not easy to make cottonseed oil. Um, and, and that's, you know, for the Ashkenazim, this is what they have to rely on. Sfaradim, all oils are, 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 are extractions of kitniyot. And as long as it's not a kitnit that you may or may not eat, or that you may not eat, then you can use oils. And that's why Sfaradim can pretty much have any oil on the market, even bearing uh, a regular kosher symbol and not a kosher for Pesach symbol. Because it's just extractions of, of, of different types of beans and legumes, and that's, that's okay. In fact, when you have chocolate and candy that is labeled kasher le Pesach for only those who eat kitniyot, you see that sometimes. This is kosher for Pesach, this chocolate, only for those that eat kitniyot. It's actually technically allowed even for people who don't eat kitniyot. Why? Because the kitniyot that are in these products are added before Pesach and they're Batel Berov. Like we said, Kitniyot is, is nullified in 50%, 51%. Not only that, these products just contain the Kitniyot oils, not the Kitniyot itself, which like we said, according to many poskim, are not included in the custom to prohibit Kitniyot. In practice, however, uh, many people are strict in this respect, and um, um, therefore, that's why the kosher agencies label them as kasher le pesach for only eat kitniyot. It's um, one of the most, I would say, unfortunate parts of our history. Um, amongst amongst the, I w- I, it is amongst the Ashkenazim when it came to the per, um, allowing of certain oils, came when Rav Cook Zecher Tzadik Libracha broadly permitted sesame oil um, since not only are the seeds not malted he said but the oil is also fried and with he says that sesame oil since it's fried it would prevent cereal grain from becoming hametz and definitely enough to alleviate the problem of kitniyot this was his very famous ruling about sesame oil um, what happened as a result was the Hasidic Ashkenazi Rabbinical Court in Yerushalayim um, seriously and strongly opposed Rav Kook and really came out against him to the point where it got almost personal and it was like a very, very big rift uh, amongst the Ashkenazim and a lot of love was lost um, amongst the two sides and really till, till I, would, I would even say till Rav Kook's passing till today Unfortunately, there are many, many parts of the, of the right-wing Orthodox that don't follow Rav Kook's uh, views, although he was a tremendous Talmud Chacham and, and spread so much Torah. Um, and Rav Kook, when he heard this, really came back firing as well. Um, I don't want to read the, the excerpt here, the whole excerpt, but uh, it was... Uh, I'll, read, I'll read part of it uh, that, that he writes. Obviously, it's translated into English. 
he says, in truth, the path of my righteous mentors, may they protect, may they merit protect all of us, whom I merited to serve, was not too inclined towards stringency when it was possible to be lenient, especially regarding issues without a strong basis in the words of the Talmudic sages. It is sufficient that we do not budge, God forbid, from the customs we accepted at the guidance of our rabbis, the poskim. So, again, he went out attacking them back and saying, who are you to prohibit something that there's no reason to prohibit? And, um, again, I can imagine that this this argument continues today where you'll probably have many Ashkenazim that will consume sesame oil and other types of oil based on the on the position of Rav Kook. And you might have a large sect of Ashkenazi Jews who maintain that, no, um, you cannot have that based on their own logic and, uh, and, and, and will only stick to certain oils. And it's a little bit unfortunate because there's probably reason to be, uh, to be lenient, uh, lenient there. Clearly, even according to the Ashkenazim who refrain from eating kitniyot, again, cannot be stricter than the actual prohibition against chametz itself. And therefore, our rabbis tell us that in extenuating circumstances, like a drought or famine, um, then many, many halachic authorities would permit eating kitniyot. In actuality, rabbis have often disagreed whether the need was pressing enough to permit eating kitniyot. Some rabbis were inclined to be lenient and others more stringent. And then there are others that permit kidneyot only to the people who are destitute and poor. And they say, no, even in times of famine, the, the wealthy people have to go out and buy other types of food because they have the money. Um, but of course, every person needs to ask their local rabbi as to what to do indeed if this was, uh, if this was the case. Um, many acharonim write that when applying the leniencies to kidneyot, it's it's first it's better first to permit kidneyot that do not resemble the cereal grain and only per, and and only permit rice millet and buckwheat which are the three main more severe ones when there is no choice in the matter um, so that's why many people will have corn because corn doesn't uh, you know doesn't resemble that of wheat much or a type of grain while rice does have that look especially different types of rice some of them quite look a lot like wheat and barley um, some say that when applying these leniencies, you should take the kitniyot and scald them in, in boiling water first, because by doing so, it prevents them from becoming chametz ever. Now, generally, we don't permit scalding cereal grains on Pesach, um, but for kitniyot, uh, sometimes it's uh, it's necessary. Like we said, if a person is ill, if a person is sick, and needs to eat kitniyot, he may do so even if he's not dangerously ill. He doesn't need to be on his, uh, you know, deathbed, God forbid. Then, of course, everything is per- permitted. But even if a person is just not feeling well and the doctor says, okay, go have some corn, go go, go have this cough syrup that that uh, that is made from corn syrup, I don't know, then he would be allowed, an Ashkenazi who doesn't eat corn would be allowed to do so. A person is allowed to swallow flaxseed with water as a laxative. As we know, flaxseed is a big laxative. He can do so if he's suffering from um, indigestion or constipation. Um, a person is allowed to feed his young children 
rice. Uh, those who need it, I've, I've received that question quite a few times. Those that have young children and uh, they need the baby food uh, contains rice. So they're Ashkenazi, can they feed, or they're, let's say, Moroccan, and they, they want to know if they can feed their children rice on Pesach. Definitely, the answer is yes. Um, try to have maybe special utensils, you know, maybe use plastic cutlery if you want. That's probably better. Um, nevertheless, whenever a person is going to be lenient and is going to be is going to eat kitniyot for the reasons mentioned above, they need to be thoroughly inspected to ensure that they contain no cereal grains. So while the term kitniyot generally um, lights a a a bulb, um, and we automatically tend to associate the term with our our brothers the Ashkenazim. There are quite a few Sfaradim that refrain from eating refrain from eating kitniyot on Pesach. Each one their own custom, and the rules that apply to the kidney, uh, to kidneyot, like we said, apply to those Sfaradim as well. So you gotta you gotta check them well, um, and you and whether or not they were to fall into food, then they are able to be annulled and batel in a majority. If you can see them, you have to take them out, and of course. For extenuating circumstances, then a person is allowed to eat those kitniyot on uh, Pesach. I hope tonight you got a little um, better idea of what the kitniyot represents, where the machloket stems from, why such a big divide. In general, Sfaradim, again, are uh, allow eating eating of all kitniyot, as the, as the Bet Yosef writes, as Shulchan Aruch explains. Unfortunately, for many of our Ashkenazi brothers, they um, they keep this custom. They keep it very strongly. It is not simple for them to remove this custom, as we mentioned. Even saying doing hatarat nedarim is not so not so pashut. We hope in the time of Mashiach, when everything is clear, we'll all follow one law. We'll all follow one set of uh, Jewish law. Kitniot will not be included in the uh, in the prohibitions of Hametz because it is not Hametz. That's what it is. It's just a custom, a very strong custom that has spread over the centuries. And Bezrat Hashem, when we get to Mashiach, hopefully tomorrow, Emir Hashem, we will all celebrate one unified halacha. Until then, Svaradim Lefik Vodam, Ashkenazim Lefik Vodam. Bezrat Hashem will continue next week. Agashi, next week we have a special lecture on Monday night. I'll send more information about that um, shortly. Wishing you all a wonderful evening ahead. Good night.